Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren. And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking. We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love. Stepping away from our evangelical church background, all the while leaning into God and moving forward in our faith. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. This is Matthias. Hi, Matthias. This is Lauren. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Good. Can you all hear me all right? Actually, we we can hear you great. Very crisp. Awesome. Cool. So we have like a running back going. You hang out with a lot of people that we know here in Nashville. Are you in Nashville or are you in... Seattle. Seattle. I'm in Seattle. I told you. Okay. I was right. (laughs) You just happen to have Nashville friends. Got it. I just happen to have Nashville friends. Yeah. And a lot of them. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good concentration. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. (laughs) Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Matthias Roberts. He is a therapist and an author uh, of Beyond Shame creating a healthy sex life on your own terms. He's also a host of Queerology, a podcast on belief and being, which was recently named as one of the 12 best LGBTQ plus podcasts of 2020 by O, the Oprah magazine and the number one podcast to listen to on National Coming Out Day by radio.com. He holds two master's degrees, one in theology and culture, and one in counseling psychology from the Seattle School in Theology and Psychology. In his psychotherapy practice, Matthias specializes in helping LGBTQ plus teens and adults live confident and fulfilling lives. He writes and speaks nationwide about the intersections between gender, sexuality, mental health, and theology. Matthias, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> oh, we're so happy to have you. And you you are quite the impressive soul. So your bio uh, <laughs> says you do a lot of things and a lot of people love what you have to do, including us. Um, I actually listen to your podcast while I'm walking my dog around the neighborhood. So thank you for oh that. Oh, gosh. I love that. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, our dog, she is inundated. She knows all the, the. Um, she's always up to date on the things that I'm learning. And uh, yeah, so it, it's wonderful. But yeah, so I, I, I just love it. I love listening to your show. Um, and you also have a book, right? I said that you have a book titled Beyond Shame. And ever since we uh, we spoke with Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers, <laughs> yeah. um, we talked with her early, early, early on in this year. She was our first interview, actually, in 2020. Oh, wow. um, and so, yeah, at the very beginning of the year, and I think she had mentioned you, and we were just told by many people that we would just love your work and just love mm. you, and you'd be right up our alley, and all the things we talk about because... We do a lot of focused things on purity culture and its effects and as former Christian artists. So I, I was a Christian artist and Adam was 
a musician in the Christian music industry. It's weird to say used to because essentially we're just not doing that right now. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, being in the Christian music industry, of course, we have our personal and our professional experiences with you know purity culture and all that. So we talk right. a lot about that. Um, and so, yeah, and we speak from our experiences, but one thing we try to be careful about on this show is speaking mostly from what we know and what mm. we experience firsthand, which is why we love having people on the podcast, why we like having people, you know, having guests on the show. And we love learning and hearing from people from different backgrounds and different journeys. So, um, with all that being said, can you give us a little bit of your story? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I uh, was born, I mean, I don't know how far you want me to go back. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> the very but beginning. <laughs> what kind of, well, I guess what kind of family uh, did you grow up in? What kind of faith did you grow up in? Totally. And then you're just, I guess your history with um, what led you to where you are now and your podcast and the book. So a yeah. little bit of your, your family history and then you can kind of just catch us up to where you are now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I was born in rural Wisconsin uh, to a family that worked at a Christian camp up there in the north woods of Wisconsin. So I, I was kind of born into the faith in a way, the Christian faith, evangelicalism. Got it. Uh, and grew up in that. I mean, literally, like this was a year round camp. Uh, so, wow. Uh, yeah, it, it just like day in and day out was, was kind of part of this, this camping ministry. Hmm. Uh, my parents were, were super involved in ministry. Um, and so first 10 years of my life was kind of spent there. Um, then we moved to Iowa when I was 10 and right around when I was 11, I started realizing that I was attracted to men. I, I didn't really have a language for it at the time. Mm. didn't really know what was going on, but like those are kind of the first conscious memories of, of being like, Oh, there's something about men that I find really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and same. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> so that kind of started this process of, of, I mean, eventually realizing that I was, was gay. I mean, that took way longer. I mean, in, into my twenties, even to kind of really come to terms with that because mm. I was so surrounded by this world that, you know, told me, homosexuality was wrong that right. it was something that I needed to struggle with something uh that that God forbids and therefore um I need to either be celibate or stay single um or marry a woman mm -hmm. uh, those were like my options yeah so I mean there's there's long 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 stories right. in there but it, but eventually in undergrad found a therapist I went, I literally went in for conversion therapy, asked oh the therapist to change me. Like that's wow. my intake documents. Wow. And he wouldn't, his, his kind of first words to me were, uh, actually from the research, we realized that sexual orientation really can't change. Mm. He was a Christian therapist. So oh, wow. this is still mind blowing to me. And wow. I, I, consider it the grace of God, whatever that means um, right. at yeah. this point. But still, uh -huh. like, those are one of those moments that I'm like, this could have gone so poorly. Yeah. Um, right. And and he kind of set me on this path then of eventually coming out and then eventually starting to wrestle with 
this celibacy theology because I, I bought into that for a very long time of, oh, I'll mm. just be celibate, I'll just be single, um, which that kind of led me to grad school and wanting to do a, a degree in theology so that I could actually like have some space to explore things. That's when I stumbled across counseling and yeah. here I am, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the short version. That's a- <laughs> Not to like dive too deep too fast, but um, I'm curious with your mentality on celibacy Mm-hmm. theology or however that was did did that also did that just exclude partnerships or was that something that excluded pornography and masturbation like at what 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 point did that end for you yeah i mean formally yes like formally it, it excluded all sexual activity uh like mm-hmm. like i think the language was it's a sin when you act on it and so i mean to tie into like purity culture like you know porn or masturbation is indistinguishable from lust uh, in that kind of way of thinking and in my way of thinking at that time. And and so therefore it was, it was all wrong. Um, Mm. Of course, functionally that was different, but like formally. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so interesting because it gets, it gets so deep into people's psyches and then you, you get into Mm -hmm. a space where if you do follow through on, on all of that line of thinking, you get into a place where you're, completely sexually underdeveloped and totally and, and get into a lot of different bad habits later on in life. Right. But I, I, I was right. just curious. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to jump too too fast, but no. <laughs> we dive in I, here. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good with that. Let's, let's go. Amazing. <laughs> well, in, in you mentioned that you grew up borderline. It was like, did you grow up borderline fundamentalist? Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, okay. I use that language. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how I'm, you know, with you, going through maybe i guess different stages of of accepting and embracing who you are um and being able to live live out your truth was there was there steps for you to be able to do that safely with you know family you grew up around friends that you grew up around maybe in church um did that happen in steps as well or was it just like okay guys here it is i'm gay yeah, I, I would say it's a mix of those two things. Mm. A, it, it, like it, it took me a very, very, very long time. And so I, once you know, I saw that counselor for a year. I slowly, slowly, slowly started coming out to people. Mm. Um, at that point, I was only out to my parents and then one other person. Got it. Uh, and those were that was everyone who knew. And so slowly started telling friends, slowly started telling more family. And then it wasn't until after I graduated that I actually like kind of fully and publicly came out. Mm. Uh, but before that, you know, most, most people close to me knew by yeah. that point. Yeah. 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 Well, we actually do. Um, I, I still get messages from, from people who, whether they're, 18 or under the 18 or they're because of the pandemic, they're living with their parents. Um, I have, I have humans reaching out and asking, you know, for advice. And I'm for, for me, I don't, I can't give a personal experience advice. Um, I do my best, but, um, when they're, they resonate, um, and they identify with LGBTQ, um, and, their parents are not affirming or their mm. family, it's not safe for them um, to be, right. 
to either come out to them or, uh, yeah. So I guess because of your, your, the book that you wrote, you know, talk about be, being beyond shame. Um, what would you say to someone? What would you say to, let's just say somebody who's under 18 living with their parents and it's unsafe for them, or at the very least, it's not affirmed. They, their, um, sexual identity is not affirmed. How do they move beyond yeah. shame while right, maintaining right, right. their safety? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is, it's such a hard bind to be in. Uh, and especially when you're under 18, I think safety needs to prioritize or be yeah. prioritized um, mm. from the get go. Because if your entire support system or your entire world is your family, uh, they're the ones who kind of have control over shelter, food, all of those things. Yeah. Um, in, like we we can't work with these kind of deeper emotions unless we have a level of safety to begin with. Yeah. So I always tell people like if if you're in a non-affirming household, if you have a pretty good idea that your parents aren't going to respond well, then you need to wait till you have a support system around you who can actually support you in what you need before you come out, which I know is frustrating advice. It's hard when you kind of want to live your truth, but then the question is, where can you start finding other places? Uh, maybe they aren't as big as coming out, but other places where you can express yourself, be yourself, whether it be online groups or with, with certain friend groups. Um, it, in some ways, it does feel like you're keeping secrets from your parents, but um, I'd say you should be <laughs> if your parents yeah. are going to respond poorly. Right. Um, yeah. Thank you for thank you for that. I I feel like that's going to be very helpful. You know, now even even for people who aren't even under eighteen, you know, the situations of living are are different because of quarantine and the pandemic and jobs or no jobs. And there's a lot of people right. who are in close quarters with either family members or friends or roommates or whatever. So I feel like that is really important. That's an important message to get out. Um, so, so thank you for going into that. And mm-hmm. like I said, we try to speak only from our experience and we do talk a lot about purity culture and we're really big on verbiage. And although sometimes we like to deconstruct, <laughs> we like to mm-hmm. deconstruct verbiage, we also find um, comfort in, in language and being able to relanguage and being able to um, understand even labels. So seeing what kind of either whether it's faith or whether it's um just traditional practices whether it's faith practices or anything we we like the idea of exploring labels and verbiage and um mm. language and so i i would just love to hear you talk about um some of the messages of purity culture that have specifically affected you as a gay man or how you've yeah. seen the toxic messages hurt the larger LG- LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the, at least in my understanding of purity culture, one of the, one of the core teachings of purity culture is, is this dividing level be- line between what's pure and what's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, our requirement to stay pure as Christians, quote unquote, pure. Um, So, so what, I mean, what that means is straight married sex and anything outside of that is off limits. Um, You have to be straight. You have to be married in order to have sex Um, within that kind of those bounds. 
any sex is okay, which is infuriating to me. But there's this this (laughs) idea that, like, once you're married, it doesn't matter um, as long as you're having sex with your partner. Um, If you're not married, then anything that you do that's sexual is wrong. I personally, you know, was taught even to the point of, like, kissing before you were married Mm. uh, was wrong. Um, So, I mean... Of course, you know, that impacted me in many, many, many different ways. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, because we hear we hear a lot of how purity culture has affected a lot. Um, a lot of women speak out about it. And I yes. know at least maybe it's just in a lot in my circle. There's a lot of women and even specifically straight women who talk about the modesty culture and purity culture in that way. And I know when I started when Adam and I really started diving headfirst into purity culture, it was so, I learned a lot from hearing his experience as a man and how it affected, purity culture affected him and his psyche and how he lived out his sexuality. And, um, and yeah, so I know that it's not, it's not just women or not just straight people or, and it's, it's, it goes beyond, your sexual identity, um, purity culture reaches into culture, culture, not just like religious culture, but big culture. (laughs) Um, and, and that's, that's part of the verbiage that, you know, people feel so alone. They feel like this kind of trauma can only affect a specific, um, group of people. And that's just not true. It's not right. Right. And I, I mean, I talk about this in this book, in my book, but, but the realization that I was having, dirty feelings. So, so this happened like one of the first times I went to the underwear aisle, the men's underwear aisle. Like mm-hmm. yeah. And it all of a sudden hit me like what I am feeling in my body are all the feelings that my, that my parents had been telling me were wrong. Um, mm. And so I was like, I'm having these dirty feelings. They're wrong. And then realized on the heels of that, well, they're not even the right kind of dirty feelings. Mm. They're directed towards men instead of women. And yeah. Like, that must be really, really, really bad. Um, mm. It was so scary. Yeah. Well, that is a scary feeling because, yeah, it's just it's just another layer. And you feel like there's, there's, there's a part of you lose trust in yourself. And you lose that confidence within your own within your own mind and within your own body. And as soon as we can't trust ourselves, like who are we, who are we going to listen to? We want to listen to anybody who's going to kind of fix that problem um, and, and, and point us towards the quote unquote right thing. Um, And then it just cuts off all of our like embodiment just can't happen. And that's a beautiful time to have embodiment when you're 11, 12, 13, we're figuring, we're figuring our shit out. And And yeah, so I, I, I mean, I understand for me, it was the same, um, in the sense of like, you know, just regular old porn and my, I had an older brother, there was things going like around me that were accessible and everything just became so wrong so quickly that Mm -hmm. it made it to where that had to be incorporated in my sexuality, that feeling of wrongness. So like mine kind of went a different direction. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely understand it. How did you, 
how, what were the steps for you to later on embody your sexuality and embody, um, take on that feeling that you are allowed to feel this and you are worthy of feeling these desires? What, what happened for you in order for you to kind of see that and see yourself and see your reflection and know that you are safe and you are loved? Yeah. Mm. I, I wish I had an answer as easy as these were the steps that I took. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think for me, it came in this process of, of um, starting grad school and in the school that I went to, the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, they have a very, their the whole program is a very embodied program. Mm. And in the first year of, of the program they have these things called at least when i was there called practicum um of where we had to sit in a room with uh two therapists and seven of our peers and work through personal stories basically Mm. um narratives where we would would write a narrative and, and read it uh and then the group would kind of would would practice um not doing therapy but just sitting with stories uh was the point of it how do we sit with stories um, the whole kind of structure around it, though, was how do we actually listen to our bodies and become aware of how our bodies respond to being in the room with someone else? Where do we stop paying attention? Where do we our imaginations fly off? Mm. Um, and I had never done anything like that before. I really had no awareness of my body in in some ways, and it was it was there that I started kind of turning inwards and realizing, wait a second. <laughs> There's a whole lot going on here Um, and asking questions and being curious about that. And I think that kind of opened the doors uh, combined with, I mean, I had been doing a a yoga practice for a few years before that, which I think did some prep work for being able to open doors when it it came time. Um, But it really was that, that first year of grad school that really opened things up and then subsequent therapy I've been seeing my therapist for a very long time and and continuing on um just just being aware of my body because I I, I'm trained in you know a style of doing therapy of where I believe my body is the best tool Mm. um and uh so my therapy is 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 very related to what is happening within my body um and to use that then as information um on behalf of, of a client. Does yeah. That make sense? yeah. Yeah. It definitely does. Mm. Do you see the connection between you know, someone's sexuality and their spirituality? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I like, I, I think in some ways I think they're inseparable. Yeah. Uh, I, I make the case in my book that, um, spirituality affects us at the very core of who we are. However, we define spirituality, even if, it's as simple as how Brene Brown defines it, which is that which connects us. Um, yeah. That sits at the very core of who we are is sexuality or the ways we experience or don't experience sexuality sit at the very core of who we are as well. Yeah. Um, which is why I think religious sexual shame is so pernicious because it, it hits both of those. <laughs> right. And it, yeah. go, and it goes back to you're going to listen to someone else and not yourself, um, right. which is dangerous. Right. And that's where, you know, policing comes in and, yeah, keeping people in line. 
Yeah. So do you feel like when, especially now, I mean, you were talking about how you were able to work through some of the things that you um, were dealing with through the beginnings of coming into your career in therapy. Do you, do you feel like even now and continuing forward or back then, um, do you have to be careful, especially in that space where you're talking about um, you, you do specialize in embodiment and you specialize in working with LGBTQ plus um, people. Um, do you feel like you have to be careful not to uh, trigger yourself almost? Uh, do you have to avoid topics? Do you have to avoid words for your own health still? Or is that something that you were able to work through in the beginning of your learning and becoming a therapist? Yeah, you know, overall, I would say, well, I'll I'll approach this from another perspective. So I I sit in an area of of where I I deeply believe we can only go as far with other people as we've been able to go ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And and of course, talking about this grad program again, like that was that was kind of the the ethos of the school that I went to. Um, and so, you know, I did a massive amount of work, both in my personal therapy, but also at, at the school on my own story, um, on learning how to even be able to navigate um, within myself or with other people. Uh, those things that, that would be uh, activating uh, for me. And so in some ways, like, no, I'm, I'm not careful because, you know, a, a client could bring up whatever they want to bring up with me. Um, and in other ways, uh, sometimes people do bring things up in sessions where I'm just like, oh, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that is touching on something in me. And, you know, th- thankfully, like there's a sense of where we do have to learn how to work with ourselves. Um, and, and so I can... I, can work with myself when that happens knowing full well like I'm going to be going and talking to my therapist about that in a couple days like in our next session like that will come up (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yeah so kind of like yes and no if that if that makes sense yeah are you are you still working with the the same therapist that kind of started you onto this whole thing yeah currently I am Mm -hmm. that's great wait the same the same Christian therapist or no oh no 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 um Different therapists from. I was from like, way "Wow, they must have gone yeah. gone on a journey with you." Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was it for you that that started you onto the path of of therapy? Like wanting to practice therapy? Yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, it's such a roundabout thing. I uh, in so in undergrad, I, I went to undergrad for graphic design and photography, and that was like my career path. And, and that's what gave you all the information you needed to be a therapist. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that I skipped every psychology class that I could in undergrad. I found like the ways around taking psychology classes because I was like, I'm not interested in this. Like this is boring. It's <laughs> at that time I thought it was a pseudoscience based on the way I grew up. Like oh, wow. all of these things. And <laughs> love that. So <laughs> I get to grad school to do a degree in theology and because of the way the Seattle school is structured, the, the, the first year program is interdisciplinary. So everyone who's coming into the school takes the same first year course of classes. 
and in that you get exposed to a lot of theology, a lot of psychology. And in all of the psychology classes, I was like, holy shit, this is blowing my mind. Like these things these people are saying is so interesting. Mm. Uh, and through a course of many conversations and, and um, kind of discernment things, I, I eventually decided like this might actually be something that I'm interested in and want to do. Uh, and that's kind of how I decided to add add in doing therapy. Yeah. Um, and as someone who who loves theology and and you know the the psyche, I mean, I'm a big fan. But I also I, I know that you're clearly also a big fan. Um, and do you do you have any advice for um, people who are LGBTQ who have Bible verses thrown at them all the time. As someone who knows their shit, I I, I want you to get, take like a few seconds or a few what, what minutes, take what you need and, and kind of download um, some ways to either cope or to respond to that gaslighting of Bible verses um, at people who are LGBTQ, how, how to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, I'll just, I'll speak from my own experience in there. I, when I first kind of started doing this work and started being more public about um, being queer and a person of faith, I would engage like almost anyone who would try to talk to me and mm. I would try to have these like watertight arguments and, and, um, you know, figure out ways to convince people and eventually started realizing like it, it takes so much energy mm -hmm. and the returns are really low like we yeah. neither of us walk away convinced <laughs> right 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 and so i i eventually got to this point of where i actually set up a fairly strong boundary like within myself of of where i, I say i i don't debate theology like if someone's yeah. coming to me wanting proof i will point them to where they can find that information yeah and say once you've read this i'm happy to chat with you about it if you actually want to talk um most people don't actually end up coming back to me yeah right <laughs> imagine that um, <laughs> right and so i i think you know that's that's one approach is kind of is is setting up those boundaries um but I think for folks who are feeling like they need to, like I think sometimes we have this feeling, this sense of obligation of, yeah. of it's, it's my job to, to justify my existence in the world. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say pretty clearly, like it's it's not though. Mm. Um, yeah. You do not have to justify your existence. And and um, I, I deeply believe that, that folks who are trying to use these certain passages in the scripture as a way of saying you can't be in our club mm. uh, because of the way you are, uh, that that setting up those dividing lines has nothing to do with God. Yeah. Um, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Uh, you're loved the way you are. You're welcome the way you are. Um, and, and um those people don't speak for God. Yeah. Yeah. That really works for, for a lot of things though, too. And I know I had to kind of create that boundary as well for myself. Um, because you know, I still do loosely identify as a Christian. And because mm -hmm. of that, I, I get messages all the time because of either things that I post that air on the side of more like witchy things or more on, you know, um, just living out my own 
my own sexuality and and not being uh, this, I guess, leader of modesty culture, which I once was when I was doing Christian music, you know, I get these messages of saying, well, I'm I'm reaching out to you or I'm only saying this because you're a Christian or as a brother of Christ or something, whatever they end up saying and sending me verses. I, I know that, you know, so this, what you just said kind of works for a lot of people in a lot of situations where you kind of just draw the line and you, and you say like what you said, you don't speak for God. Um, especially because God is such a personal, personal experience and, um, interaction that, yeah, you, you don't speak for God and I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Actually. Thank you very Mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Um, (laughs) yeah, for sure. Um, and so I, I mean, I, I loved like hearing your story, and I, like I said, I've I've been listening to your podcast for a while, um, and wondering, I'm I'm wondering how uh, you sort of identify within your faith, like, and how you um, are there things that you practice uh, now that are different than you know as you grew up, like whether it's worship songs or prayer how you kind of address and how you kind of live out your own personal faith. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I still identify as Christian um, with a ton of caveats, I guess. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> that word is so complicated, especially in like the current political world. But yeah. I do solidly believe like I, I mean, I sit within the Christian tradition and find a lot of wisdom within the Christian tradition. Yeah. Um, but just maybe in some, some further away corners than, yeah. than what's out and, and loud right now. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I've recently returned to church, um, cool. which has been, quite a journey for me um i I stepped away for for a long period of time and um have now found myself at at, a church here in seattle that looks a whole lot more like my church growing up than i would have ever expected wow going back to um yeah and yet it's been healing in some really in ways i didn't even realize i i kind of wanted needed healing uh, yeah. So, so church has slowly been a practice I'm I'm kind of easing into. Like I, I mean, by going to church, I mean like maybe once a month, maybe. Yeah. Um, so it's still it's right. Still, it's still slow. Yeah. But I have a church I go to. Hey everyone, want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, practices... (sighs) I... Ever since I was a kid, I have... I've had this like running conversation with God in my head. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would quite qualify it as prayer, mm. uh, but maybe it is. Uh, that still exists. Yeah. Uh, and I tend to see the world much broader. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of like, is it Rob Bell or if Rob Bell maybe stole it from someone, but I think he has a book coming out by this title, like Everything is Spiritual. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> Richard Rohr kind of kind of ways of, of, of um, thinking the... I think the technical term would be panentheism. Yeah. Um, this idea that God is in all. Um, yeah. Yeah. And 
I, I mean, I, I feel like I see that and, and embrace that with that way of mm. in the world. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I relate to that. Um, that pulls a little bit on my, my native heritage. Um, mm. God is in everything um, or everything. Yeah. God is in everything. It kind of it goes between that or like everything is God. Um, mm. And I, I subscribe to that everything is spiritual. That's something that like I have on my bio saying that I, what do I, what is it? I'm a spiritual being documenting my human experience or something like that. Um, and that's, that's just, that's my faith and that's my spirituality. Um, and so, yeah, the, like Richard Rohr and people like that, it's definitely, I grew up with the Christian faith. So it's been an interesting journey taking what I grew up with and then also making ties to my heritage and things that I've heard along the way, just kind of like snippets here and there from either my dad or his family or things that I just, I think are in my blood and are yeah. innate. Um, and then I do my research or I talk to other indigenous folks and they kind of affirm, yes, that is, that is what you're feeling. This is what you've always felt like, you know, just kind of right. confirming those things. And it has been a journey though, being able to explore your own faith being able to explore my own faith with the context of how I grew up as well, though, mm. you know, because mm-hmm. we're not just born. We all have a system that we kind of function in or patterns right. that we grew up in. And then it's just a matter of figuring out like how how that aligns with our spirit. Yeah, because I don't I don't see those two things aren't the same. Like the culture we grew up in isn't always what our spirits like the communication language our spirit breathes and talks. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been working through, especially lately, um, we've been getting pulled into circles that have a lot more to do with decolonization work and anti-racism work and all of those kind of things. Just because, like, I mean, obviously, the current climate of the world, but I feel (sighs) purity culture was was one of the things and was one of the triggers for us to begin into a process mm. of deconstruction. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like that, it, it, it was that thread for us, you know, like mm-hmm. the thread that you just start pulling at and it just keeps <laughs> unraveling and unraveling. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I think, the moment where, at least for Lauren, um, I saw the spark happen where it mm. was... It was coming out of the Christian contemporary music world where struggles were tied, struggles that were tied to her religion and her spirituality and her faith. Um, they, they were brought back and always and always held up to the standard of purity culture where mm. it, is your is your shoulder showing or is there midriff or do you have too many right. ear piercings or, or any it, of those kind of things or it was just myself but people would ask you know they would ask the question how's your walk yeah, <laughs> how's right, your walk right. with god and my 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 answer would always be defined by you know, whether or not I had been messing around sexually with my boyfriend or whether or not I had been masturbating or whether or not I had looked at porn or whatever. It was always like, well, if I had, if I hadn't done any of those things in a while, then my walk with God was fine and it was good. I I could respond in, in, you know, with a, with a clean 
pure heart saying, no, right. yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> or else if the answer was no, then I'm like, oh, things, you know, they're, they could they, be they better. Could be better. <laughs> we could be closer. <laughs> we could be closer. I could be a better person, which of course. So then, you know, when I was going through all that, we got, when Adam and I got married and then defining what sex really was and like, it's mm. way beyond the intercourse <laughs> and right. um, it's so much more than that. And then that just led into a lot of that, that deconstruction. Yeah, and and I feel like we've just kind of deconstruction tends to be something that's a little bit more intrinsic, right? Like it's something that right. that you're you're working on internally and changes the way that you interact with with God or with spirit or with the universe. Um, and it's been moving more into this place of of decolonization work where it's like seeing seeing the things that like why do we operate the way that we operate? Why why did religion um, start in a place that was oppressive to people of color and why did we start into this this practice of of marginalizing uh people in the lgbtq community and so you know just with with the climate of the world right now it's just been a very pertinent topic to talk about because i feel like and maybe this is a bit controversial but i feel like the deconstructed christian movement has been predominantly white and so right. now moving into a space. Because it's a lot of evangelicals. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and who are the evangelicals? Yeah, it was the evangelical Christians. Right. And so and so now that we're moving into more of this um decolonizing work, I'm I'm curious, is that is that a similar trajectory that you're seeing in some of the work that you're doing between whether it's whether it's through the queerology podcast or or if it's through your therapy work um, or through your writing, is is that a trajectory that you're seeing happen right now? Or is or I mean, also there's there's people that we don't want to abandon either that need companionship through the purity culture spaces. So I'm just curious, has it affected the trajectory of your work at all? And it being decolonization. Yeah, I suppose just like um, the the upheaval of mm-hmm. of that, like the whiteness of of right. church and and of practices that have happened in evangelical yeah. spaces and all of the all of the purity culture spaces too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, short answer is yes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the longer answer is, you know, I I think any time we start looking to the margins and, and of course this is tempered. So I don't want to make it so, so concrete that it's saying like this will always happen. But I think anytime we start looking to the margins and starting to ask questions, um, those questions lead us towards other people. Those questions lead us towards. So, so for me initially it was questioning theology around LGBTQ issues and, and then starting to realize like, well, it's, it's not just, LGBTQ issues I need to be questioning. It's whiteness. It's it's the the role that um me as a white man, like even though I'm gay, I'm still playing out this role as as a white man is in a predominantly white supremacist supremacist society. Um and and like it starts to snowball in a way. Mm. I don't think it always snowballs for everyone, but for many of us, you know we start looking and then we start seeing people who have been oppressed everywhere, um, which coming from a predominantly white world, um, 
you know, throws us into a tailspin. Um, it, it causes us to question everything in, in some ways in, in where other minority folks, they already know a lot of this stuff. They yeah. haven't even been buying into the, into whiteness, into white evangelical Christianity. They already, you know, they already have a very robust tradition right. um, to, to work within. Uh, so, Yes, and and I think for those of us who are who are on this this journey of of deconstruction, I think I think you know as I've continued on the on the journey and, and into I guess reconstruction. I don't know that I love that language. Um, to realize like many of us are like it feels so new to to us who are deconstructing, but the reality is is this isn't new at all right and as we start finding these other spaces um you know our, our instincts i think are often to kind of jump in and say hey guys look at this like look at all this stuff um and, and to realize like we're actually entering spaces and and evolving into spaces of where we're the newcomers and we're the ones who need to be sitting down and being quiet yeah um and we're the ones who are trying to assimilate ourselves into into other ways of being um which means it's not our job to actually be stepping into these spaces and being leaders in these spaces i i feel like i'm getting off on a tangent but um they're not new spaces mm. yeah, yeah. If, if that makes sense I, no absolutely and that tangent also just kind of makes me it makes me think or it makes me wonder was was that reach for including people into that growth for you is that what was the impetus for the podcast or or what was it that spurred you moving outward and projecting other voices onto a platform yeah yeah queerology started uh mostly because i i realized like i know all of these amazing people who are doing really neat and interesting work at these these intersections of primarily queerness and, and faith. Uh, and at that point, when, when I started Queerology, the conversation that was happening was still primarily this question of, is it okay to be queer and Christian? Mm. Is it okay with the Bible? And how do we defend that? And I was so much more interested in this in this question of how are queer people of faith living their lives? Yeah. Uh, how are they flourishing? How are they doing innovative and creative work um, but also stepping into it, realizing like, if this podcast is going to actually address this question, it needs to be, um, addressing it from a more intersectional approach, uh, not a primarily white approach. And so that has been my hope with the podcast. Um, and it's not my job to judge whether I'm doing a good job of that or not Right. <laughs> <That's> for <laughs> other people to decide. Um, yeah. and, but hopefully that's, I mean, my my goal in the show is to bring in a, a multiplicity of perspectives and and let people talk and share and explore, kind of um, on their own ground in a way. Even though I'm I'm hosting, um, that that's the the feel I try to go for. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And speaking of you know people being involved and having a safe space for them to kind of. Uh, speak and learn and grow. I I know you do have um you have a your first ever Beyond Shame Healing Day 
Um, yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> so on on September 12th, uh, we're doing, like you said, the first ever Beyond Shame Healing Day. It's a full day interactive online workshop of, of where people can come and uh, work with their sexual shame. Uh, we're using the framework that I kind of set out in my book. Um, and it'll be a lot of information that's in my book, but a lot of new information and also kind of filled with these, these practical things that we will be doing, uh, during the day. Amazing. Teachers coming in. I'm so excited about it. It's going to be an amazing day. That's awesome. And where is that? And where is that going to be like held? Uh, it's all online. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so folks can, uh, just go to MatthiasRoberts.com slash healing day, uh, for all the information. Awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I'll yeah. I'll be sure to to link it, of course. Thanks. Because Thank you. this will be coming out. So what day of the week is is the twelfth? It's a Saturday. Saturday. Okay. So yeah, this episode it will be airing on the seventh. So it'll be perfect. So people oh, great. make sure you get your tickets to that because I mean that's just gonna be awesome. And yeah, I mean Matthias is gonna be there and there's gonna be a guest speakers, like you said. So um, definitely make sure you guys check that out. And then also where can people find you and your book and just all of your resources? Yeah. So I am across social media at Matthias Roberts websites, MatthiasRoberts.com. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> and then my book beyond shame, you can get wherever you buy books. Awesome. That is so great. Well, everyone, make sure you guys, you check them out. You check him out on all the platforms and all the things that he has. Um, Matthias, thank you so much for being on thank the podcast. You. Yeah, you're amazing. We love speaking this with you. so much fun. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, yeah. guys. Well, thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye. Bye.